Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, super excited to bring Matt Hudson. Many of y'all know Matt from around town. He's been here for a number of years. Most recently, he was over at Belk helping building out their mobile app and platform where um, before that he'd been with Charles Schwab and did the same thing. He's been a mentor for numerous organizations over the course of the last couple of years in terms of entrepreneurship. One of those organizations was the Startup Lab, which is uh, Duke University's inside of Duke's Center for Advanced Hindsight. Matt's actually the one that introduced me to Dan O'Reilly to have him on the podcast a couple years ago. So really excited to bring Matt to y'all and highlight what he's building with his new companies, the CEO and co-founder of Build It. And it is a fantastic opportunity set in front of them. They've been working on it in a stealth mode for the last um, almost two years now, year and a half. And this is their kind of coming out party, if you will, to tell everybody what they're doing and, and how they're doing it and where they see the future and, and everything else. So super excited to let Matt share his story, talk about his team, and talk about the launch of their new company as it um, is just yet another great little startup here in the Charlotte marketplace. So please enjoy another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm Glad good, to man. Here. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming to have you on the podcast. It has. I, I've been anxiously waiting. You don't know, but I've been secretly plotting to be on the show. We like secret plotters to be on the podcast. It makes for an exciting conversation. Absolutely. So, um, so you know the rundown then. So, you know, if you, you don't mind giving us a, a little background on who Matt is so we can, um, we can take off and find out what you're in the process of doing. Take off like a rocket. I like there it. You go. Yeah. So, uh, give you my background. Uh, I've been a engineer. Uh, since I was 12 years old, sold my first website when I was 18 to my chiropractor. My favorite part of my story. Uh, I called my dad, said, Dad, what? I need to figure out what to charge my chiropractor. And he said, Well, charge him what you want. And I needed rent. And so I said, Okay, I'm going to charge him rent 500 bucks back when rent was, you know, affordable. And, uh, and he paid it. And I was like, I'm going to do this for my life. And so eventually got into. Uh, mobile app programming, uh, worked at Charles Schwab, worked on Sam's Club, uh, worked in startup world, you know, uh, and then eventually came to Belk uh, about eight years ago. Uh, and then, you know, crazily got into retail uh, and technology. And then uh, about a year ago, uh, you know, really decided I'm going to go out on my own. And that's really where my entrepreneurship journey started. So, um, that's funny that you sold a website to pay for it. I love that story. <laughs> you, you know, what's funny about that though, that chiropractor came back and built an app with me last year. Oh, did he? And yeah, he is, he's so cutting edge. He, he built an app that, uh, that does at home acupuncture, which is incredible. Uh, you know, way ahead of its time. 
So I, I assume you did not charge rent this time. I did not charge rent. <laughs> good, good point. Yeah, no, he, no, it definitely did not charge rent. That's awesome. So, uh, so I mean, you've, I mean, you've got a cool story. So, I mean, you worked on, I mean, um, obviously the Charles Schwab um, uh, stuff. You worked on the Belk stuff, um, and you know, you've taken all that and you packaged together. Um, yeah. And now you've got your your own thing. So. Let's dive into your own thing. So, um, what's what what have you been working on? Yeah, man, I'm so excited, and you know, I I secretly plotted to to launch on your show. Uh, number one, I always enjoyed you know working with you. You've always been very supportive for me, um, and not only that, but you know, living in the area, uh, you know, I really wanted to support what's going on here. Um, we just raised money from the South Carolina Research Authority. And of course, we've always been in the community here, um, you know, right on the border of Charlotte. And helping out these companies is important to me. So what have I been working on is a really a set of uh, solutions that solve problems that I have encountered over the years. Um, as a mobile app engineer, seeing uh, Belk, when I was the manager, you know, of the Belk app, um, grow and shoot the moon and seeing the opportunity that was there in e-commerce and retail uh, for mobile apps, um, but seeing how expensive they were, I wanted to solve that problem. So today I'm launching Build It on your show. Um, I've been working on it for a really long time. We've got quite a few customers. But really, you know, Build It has been uh, in the works uh, for a while. And what Build It is, is an e-commerce platform for mobile apps. Um, and what that means is that just like you can spin up a Shopify site or a Magento site or a Commerce Cloud site, you should be able to spin up an app in the same uh, way. Instead of building it from scratch uh, with an iOS engineer, an Android engineer, we pre-built it, and we provided a content management system for that as well. So over the years, there was no real content management system for mobile apps. There was no pre-built solution for mobile apps and e-commerce. And that's the problem we wanted to solve. We wanted to decrease the barrier to entry to get into mobile apps for uh, mid to large size retailers um, or e-commerce companies and, and really make it easy to manage content in any mobile app as well. So that's what Build It is, and I'm really excited to launch it today because uh, it's all about building great products, but also building great people. So, no, it's a um, it's a fantastic concept and something that you and I've kind of or you've talked to me about for a while now. Yeah, um, and I've been uh, pulling for you for as long as I've known about it. So it's so Thanks. it's so great to see it getting off the or having gotten off the ground over the course of the last couple of years. Um. Talk, talk a little bit about how you started to realize it, right? So we all have that, we all have that moment um, as an entrepreneur, and maybe it's not a moment, it's a series of moments, but it is what it is. Um, how did it become a realization that, wait a second, this is, this is a business, or this should be a business, or this could be a business, or mm. how did that, how did that moment happen for you? Yeah, it's, it's certainly a series of moments. Um, there was probably a point at which it was an epiphany, but not necessarily about the business, more about the technology. 
Um, on the business side, it was very clear to me uh, several years ago when I was working in enterprise IT that they didn't have the facilities to build mobile app very well. And I was surprised at the costing and I was surprised at the lack of solutions, whether it was content management or pre-building solutions. You know, in the, in the agency world, when I was at a company called Rockfish that eventually sold to WPP, uh, we built things by hand. We built blogs by hand. Today, I can't even imagine building a blog by hand. Um, and when WordPress came out, it disrupted everything. And so uh, I started a company not that long ago, more of a hobby kind of company where I built apps for uh, political campaigns. And we did three presidential African campaigns. And I realized then that there needed to be a solution uh, similar uh, to WordPress where they could give people access to mobile apps. Now, that was way, way before its time. That was when I was working at Charles Schwab. Um, but I learned a lot from that. And then when I got into retail, I saw it play out even stronger when I saw the Belk app because the costing that was associated to it and the lack of tools uh, saw personal frustrations. And so uh, at one point uh, when some technology came out that really enabled content to be delivered over the wire to mobile apps, I was able to figure out a way to, to do this in a really unique fashion and that was the techno technological epiphany that, hey, we could decrease the costs for these companies. We could provide them a beautiful tool that would solve a real problem. Um, I don't know exactly when that was, but I would say that once I saw that the technology could be created in a way that gave customers a really great experience, that's when I knew it could be a business because we could solve several problems at once. It's a, um, I said interesting. I, I like the, I like the progression of getting there, from, from a founder's perspective. You're sitting there at at Belk and and you see the problems, of of trying to do what you want to do, which is build their app, um, make it better, make it user friendly, do all of the different things. Um, and then all of a sudden the technology becomes available that you think would make it easier to build your own company. What's yeah. the, what's the, what's the progression you make from there, right? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Is it, um, I'm going to start this now. Um, I need to reach out to so-and-so, um, oh my <laughs> gosh, am I going to blow this? Oh my gosh, is somebody already doing it? What, what brushes into your head as, as you start to realize, hey, wait a second, I think I can go do this. So I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, people ask me all the time, you know, what's in my background uh, when we're on video? And what's on, what's on my background back there is my very first lemonade stand, uh, Smock. You, uh, you know, you can see it back there. The, the crowd can't see it. Obviously, we're on audio. But it's a picture of me and my brother when we were 11 years old and nine years old, respectively, or eight years old, respectively. And, um, you know, we always have been entrepreneurial types. So I, you know, I've always thinking about what can I do in that vein? I love building things. That's why build is called building. And in fact, one of the core concepts of the company is around 
um, not only uh, building products, but building people, because I've always believed in that as well, is personal progression. So when you say, you know, uh, did I ever worry about blowing it? No, I did not ever worry about blowing it. Because to me, it's a step. It's like a gigantic set of steps uh, that you take one step at a time. And sometimes it's daunting. I mean, don't get me wrong. The mountain is very high. But as long as you understand that you're starting at one step and you just take the next step and take it where it leads you, use your business acumen, use your technological acumen, find the solutions. You know, the, the people that have mentored me in my life have always helped me understand that persistence, incremental improvements, um, and, uh, you know, using not your gut, but your, your calculated instincts, if you will. And maybe that's gut, maybe that's what people call it, but I don't call it a feeling because I believe it comes with a lot of thought. Um, it, you will get there. So, you know, to answer that question a little more in context around, around build it, um, I already knew that there was a market, right? We knew that there was a problem. That's the first thing. Building a business is not about finding something that has utility. It's about finding a major problem that people are willing to pay for, right? And so once I figured out that there was a problem, and then once I saw, you know, really uh, working at Belk that there was a market, right, that companies were willing to pay for it and they needed help um, and that they couldn't maintain it themselves. Once I realized those two things, it was really just about finding what the product is. And Blue Ocean Strategy Guide calls it value innovation, right? It's uh, Betamax versus VHS. Why didn't the better technology win? Because VHS was a value innovation. In other words, it hit the market at the proper costing with the proper set of technology. It's not just about the great technology. It's also about the value. So once I realized that we were able to provide a value and an innovation, we knew we had a business. And then it was, like I said, just about figuring out what the product looks like. Is it just the content management system? Is it just the mobile app solution? Are we selling just the e-commerce companies? And some of those things are still things we're deciding. Almost no company starts out, or I should say almost no startup, starts out as the original person in vision, whether that's Twitter or Facebook or um, even some of the more uh, local companies did not start the way that they intended, or I'm sorry, they did not end up the way that they intended at the start. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So um, I love your progression and step, right? Because sometimes you just need to sidestep and, and then start going forward again. Um, yeah. Let's talk about some of your steps, right? You've been very, um, I don't want to say methodical because that makes it sound slow, um, but you've been very... Um, structured in the way that you've done this over the course of the last couple of years. So yeah. um, let's, do, do you mind walking us through? Or you've got the idea, you know, the technology's there. Yeah. You want to release it. Um, how do you, how have you gotten to this point, right? How has Matt Hudson yeah. taken it from idea to raising what you've raised over the course of the last um, couple months? Yeah. So you know, it's going to sound so cliche, but it literally started on the back of a paper towel. 
you know, <laughs> or the front of a paper towel. Uh, I don't know why, but I have I was to say, which thing. side is the front or the back? I don't I, know, right? No, the plus side. If you use bounty, <laughs> it's got legit, you know, like a quilted side, the quilted side. Um, no, but in all seriousness, though, like I, I like the uh, high, uh, excuse me, low def mockups. Right. I like drawing it out and I like drawing it out in a way that matches the rectangular of the screen. So the first thing I did was I started drawing out what the content management system was going to look like, because I knew that was a problem for every app. Every app has the problem of, hey, it's very hard to deliver content for my mobile app. Sure, I can deliver images, but, you know, getting content out to any mobile app usually requires some kind of back end, usually done by hand. Or maybe you tie into a web CMS that's kind of shoehorned that, you know, a solution into mobile apps. So the first thing is it is I draw it out and said, okay, what are the things that need to be managed inside my mobile app, whether it's feature flags or the content, you know, the HTML type of content or the actual components or the scheduled content that, you know, exists on a promotional day or, you know, the coupons or whatever it is. Um, and it's different for every app, right? And, uh, so that's the first thing uh, is envisioning what it's going to look like. You know, I'm, I believe in visualization uh, because it allows you to immerse yourself into the problem and to the solution. And if you think through those things in a, in a really, uh, you know, like you mentioned, methodical way, um, then you can get to really good solutions in your mind that will come out in a much easier fashion. So the first thing was drawing it out, um, you know, sending it over to a designer, uh, having that designer kind of sh show it on screen, which is always an exciting moment. And so part of the reason why you start with design and not development is because when you see it start to come to life and you start to think about it, you start to get excited, you know, and even if that's not even close to the final product, it just builds momentum. And so there's that. What the app was going to look like you know, didn't matter as much because e-commerce apps mostly look like e-commerce apps. Um, but, you know, what the technical solutions were going to look like was a lot of fun for me because I love solving problems. And so I started asking myself, okay, what are the problems that I have today? You know, what are the APIs that I have struggled getting into? How can we solve problems about customization? How can we solve the problem of, hey, we're going to give you the code, but we're going to deliver, uh, you know, better code later. And so I started thinking through how does some of the other web solutions work? And I realized something that one of the technical problems, aside from the business problem that I've already mentioned, the technical problems are that the paradigm of web is very interoperable, right? I can drop code anywhere. I can, anybody can drop code anywhere. And it works the same for everybody. But AppWorld didn't have that. It didn't have that solution. Apple and Google were, were competing against each other in their technology sets. And so that created a problem for retailers. So, you know, or for e-commerce companies, or really just for any company building apps is building for iOS and building for Android, not being able to deep link your marketing into those mobile apps. And so that's when I started solving the technical problems of, okay, how do we let them customize it like web, but for mobile app? And as I started to progress through those things, I realized all of these technical solutions could decrease the cost, could give them better technology, allow them to roll things out faster, and give the customer a much more beautiful, fast experience that was more on track 
with their mobile web solutions or their web solutions. And so uh, to me, that's the goal is to make apps as easy to build as web. And I think that some of the things we've done are really the first step to that. I mean, it's, um, I love your analogy of um, you start with the design because nobody wants to start on the tech, right? So <laughs> it's like we start at the edges of the grocery store rather than the middle of the grocery store because fruits and vegetables are so much more fun than the carbs in the middle. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't deny that. As a programmer, it's hard for me because I want to say, oh, you saw but it's really the visual aspect and being able to see it. And yeah, and getting excited and showing it to people. If I showed you the code, you would be like, okay. But if I show you the design, you're like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just kind of the life of the developer, I'm afraid. <laughs> so how do you, um, and you had some help because you were in, you were in it, right? You knew what you were building because you were building it. Um, but like the techie person always wants to they want to get the tech stuff figured out. Right. But there's mm -hmm. the business application as well. And it's like you're solving for the business challenge and you're using tech to do it. And the tech person can sometimes get so stuck in, it must be this way because this is what tech allows, but then that doesn't work for the business. So how did you marry the business and the tech aspect as you were solving those challenges? Did you, uh -huh. So you ask a, you're asking a very good question that I would formulate slightly different, which is how do you prioritize what to do first, whether it's the business or the tech? Nope, well, let exactly me tell right. you, let you me tell be, you two. You want to sit in my chair for a minute? No, but no, <laughs> I, but I know the question because I, yeah. I've thought about this a lot. It's, you know, it's, um, it, it, so as a mentor, um, you know, for uh, VMS locally or the startup lab up in Duke or many years ago at the ARC Challenge at the Arkansas Accelerator. Um, so it's interesting. I've always considered myself kind of a weirdo, uh, not just because I have this mohawk, uh, but also because um, I have a business degree from the Sam Walton College of Business in Arkansas, which is a very good business school. Um, but I've been a programmer since I was 18. I always saw software as a way for me to build things that I wanted to sell. I always did. And so getting my business degree was important to me, not only because I was an entrepreneur, but also because I needed to understand how did I get to that point of success. And the reason why that matters to the other entrepreneurs out there or really any business, I think, is because... If you build something that doesn't have a market, who cares? Nobody cares. And you have to have a market. Tech companies often focus very hardcore on the solution, the features, uh, what it is that they're building, or they think that they need to build first. That's not true. You should be selling first. Because every time you sell, you learn what people are willing to buy. And you can build anything you want, but if you can't sell it, you don't have a business. My wife will not allow me to run a business that all it does is spend money and make money. It's not going to work for her. It's not going to work for my investors. So you have to, A, understand the business first. B, be ready to sell it first. You should have a sales team the moment you have a, a CTO. The, the, the idea that an idea alone with, uh, and then building it first is going to win anything, it's not going to win anything. I've done it a million times. 
You can build whatever you want. You got to be able to sell it. And you don't know what you can sell until you start talking to people in the market. I don't care how smart you are or how invested in the idea you are or how much you're in the industry. You need to know that people are willing to pay for it because the moment you charge $1, literally $1, people's mind changes. And you can, you can tell that by the way people review apps. If you have to buy an app, you are so much more hardcore on it than if it's free. You know, even the process of downloading um, is, is, is something that you have to get through. So you got to know the business first. You got to know what the market is. You got to be able to sell it and build it. And really, it's a lot of those things together. So you got to build something, see if you can sell it. Build the next piece, try to sell it. Build the next piece, try to sell it. And you, you know, all the while, you're understanding your product market fit, right? Your product mix, if you will. Um, and each time you try to sell it, you learn new things. Am I selling the right person? Am I, are, am I, are they right um, uh, demographically, uh, uh, socioeconomically? Are they the right business? Do they even have this problem that I think that they have? Um, is there a different problem that I can solve with similar technology? Is it a feature change? So, you know, my advice, again, to any company that is getting started out there, don't focus on the tech first. Focus on the market. Focus on selling it as you build it and continually morph it. And if you read any of the startup books out there, they will tell you that it is a progression. Everything is a progression. Build, sell, build, sell, build, sell. Exactly. So, what's the opportunity? What's the fix? What's the opportunity? What's the fix? You know, it's uh, it's a common algorithm um, for companies that are successful. So, on that note, as you as you as you built this, you who's who's the target market? And then I'll go ahead and tell you the follow up question, so you can kind of put it in the context of that. How do you, um, how do you build something for multiple pro, uh, uh, target markets? Right, because you do. You've got different places that people will purchase this, and then how do you build? How do you figure out it's going to work for both of them? Hmm. Well, for me, I think we kind of got to this naturally. Um. We knew that if we were going to build mobile apps for companies, that they would want, you know, a content management system, a dashboard to manage it. Every website or app that I've ever built required a management portal because you know, most companies are not going to have an IT team and they're not going to sink money into an iOS and Android developer, you know, forever. You need to be able to do it. And of course, you see companies like WordPress a million years ago. They understood that. So we learned a lot from companies that were already doing it for the web channel, right? And thinking about the, the paradigms that made that work really helped define that portion. Um, so to me, we didn't necessarily have two products to start. We had one product that went together. However, I think we quickly realized that the content management system was um, one, of our, one of our engineers, one of the contract engineers that came on after we had built it, he said, this is the magic. And, <laughs> and I think that, that is the moment that I realized it really is its own product. And so I think we naturally progressed, if you will, to the point of realizing that content management system could be used for any 
any mobile app solution. Um, so agencies that uh, build mobile apps uh, can utilize it for their customers, or they can give it to their customers that have mobile apps. Um, almost every product that exists out there has to be managed. Um, another thing that people underestimate, whether it's an entrepreneur or, uh, you know, uh, somebody that is um, building their own mobile app, you know, both of those cases uh, require long-term management. So how do you build both products? Well, first of all, you know, because they tie together, they support each other. So that really defined a lot of the features. Now, going forward, you know, as, as they sort of uh, branch into their own uh, sets of software, you know, we'll define it based upon what customers need. As an example, you know, many customers are asking for one content management system that manages both web and app. So we're considering that. Um, A-B testing, you know, for content management inside your mobile app. That's another need. All of these things sort of go together. And um, I wouldn't say they take on lives of their own, but they definitely support each other. And even though they're Again, I think they're separate products in some ways, but they mostly go together. Yeah. So slide back um, as we continue to progress through the company, right? Um, yeah. So you've got the concept, you've started to build it, you've started to sell it, you've started to build it, you've started to sell it. Um, you've got, um, so you've got customers. Um, how long, um, where are you? what is the process taking you to today? Right. Um, mm. you've, you've had customers for how long now? Ooh, well, depends on which one you're talking about, but about exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and so, um, how have you built the company over the course of the last 18 months? Right. So, um, how have you allowed it to grow as you're building it out? Yeah. That's a great question. So I've got a slide deck that we did at the beginning of the year for the entire team. We did an all hands meeting that really gave the key team context uh, of what we're going to do this year. Last year was a build year. You know, um, our, our very first uh, part portion was learning. Uh, last year was a building year. And then this year is a growing year. So the challenge that many people have, and I even mentioned it earlier, where people decide to build uh, before they sell or when really they got to be together. Uh, but the challenge and the reason why I think they have that, that trouble is because you do have to have something to sell, right? And so you got to find uh, people that are willing to take a risk, uh, do a proof of concept, um, get people that uh, can utilize it. And if you can, quote unquote, eat your own dog food and utilize it yourself, it's even better. Um, and that real life feedback, even if it's free or proof of concept is very valuable, even if it's just, you know, talking to people um, about the product and showing them the design, you know, those things provide, you know, real feedback. Um, so but you had, I don't know if that. But you had revenue last year. So you had revenue as you were building it, right? Oh, how yeah. did you? Oh, I got you. How did how I did, get to that? Yeah. How did you get a revenue? I mean, so, I mean. So, so here's the great thing. When you're building a product, you have great engineers. And so, you know, the start of that is uh, we did implementations. We did service. We built apps for people uh, that used our content management system. So we leveraged the fact that, you know, we had an engineering team that could do something great. 
um, into opportunities that would use our content management system uh, or that would give us learnings or that would simply just give us revenue. And so I went back to my chiropractor came to me. It was, it's funny. It's so funny. It's, it's such a interesting story, but he wanted to build an app and he wanted to build a, an app that did acupuncture, you know, for people at home, which is incredible. I, it, you know, the pandemic spurred it on. And by the way, it's not needles. It's, it's uh, using an electro uh, stimulator. Uh, but I was like, wow, he's so ahead of his time. And uh, it was a complicated app. And, and so we built that app for them. And, you know, the team was able to coalesce around a process. Uh, again, another thing that you have to build in your business is the processes and the teams and having them work together and understanding how it's all going to work. You know, a lot of companies, I think, make the mistake. They raise a ton of money. They hire this great team. And then they're like, OK, we'll figure it out. OK, well, why don't you figure it out when you have a little tiny bit of money, get through the real frictions of growing. And then once you grow, now, if you've done it right in parallel, then you can kind of come, come out and uh, show what the world, what you've got. But service is always a need um, and it can support your product. Now, this year is really about growing. And so we're moving away from the service completely so that we can fully, you know, capture our ARR. Um, but yeah, you know, the, you got you to gotta sell what you can. Sometimes it's consulting. Uh, some of the customers that we have, we're simply teaching them how to market their mobile app, um, you know, and I think that that in itself is very valuable. And by the way, it can seed the next question is, hey, should we rebuild our mobile app or should we use our content management system? We actually use consulting to get us to a point of selling our product as long as we are focused on the right people. So, you know, picking who you're going to sell to is actually a very important question as to what your growth looks like. You can't just sell to anybody and you obviously have to pick the sweet spot of people willing to pay you, but that also need your future product. And, you know, it's not an easy task, but, um, but that's the most sophisticated, well, not sophisticated, but the most, um, I guess, safe and smart way to do it. But it's not easy for sure. Yeah. I mean, I love the, I love the way you did it last year, right? So you were starting to build a team, you were building the product last year, but you also realized that the, um, you know, revenue is certainly a nice thing to have, especially in this day and age. Um, yeah. And so you created revenue through, you know, a service offering um, and that probably gets phased out, right? It doesn't completely just drop off the cliff. It gets phased out over time as you start to build yeah. out the other aspect of it, which is now, hey, look, we had a service app. It was great. It got us through some things that we needed to get through. And now let's continue to, or not continue, we built the the back end, the platform, obviously there can be constant improvements, but um, now let's sell this platform. It's a great way for entrepreneurs to, or it's a great lesson for entrepreneurs to learn is you don't have to completely shut something down as you're continuing to build something new. Yeah. I mean, uh, I certainly think that that's the, you know, complicated piece, right? It's, if you read any of the lean startup books or blue ocean strategy or, you know, any of those, I think that's, that is the hardest part is figuring out what is the, the mix. <clears throat> and that mix is the key to having success and growing. Um, and I think the natural friction of taking the step-by-step -step to go back to our, you know, step metaphor um, is the learning process. And so, you know, 
I think people want to oversimplify it and say, well, you raise money and then you build a product and then you sell it, you know, but really it's, it's a lot of learning throughout the process. And I think if you take it on that way um, and you know that you're going to change, you know, that you're going to morph into something, then I think you're at a huge advantage. Um, and if you can plan it out and you can take it step by step and blueprint out what you want to do, um, you know, with a critical path of certain things that you know are a problem that you can solve, um, then you're going to be much better off in the long term. Um, but yeah, it is going to be um, an interesting journey, even this year, of shifting away from 70% you know, service to 70% ARR. Um, but now we've got a product that is mature enough that people will buy. Um, and we know it works and we know it solves problems. So I think that that's, you know, like I said, another huge advantage. We'll see how it plays out on the growth side. You know, are we going to grow in the content management system? Or are we going to grow in the mobile app? Um, like I mentioned, this is a grow year. But one of the things on our slide deck, too, is decide exactly what kind of company we are. Well, that sounds crazy, right, with a company that is doing very well. But we got to decide what we're going to focus on. Are we going to continue down the path of, you know, both products? Are we going to see more traction in mobile app? Are we going to see a ton of traction in content management system? Are we going to be self-service? You know, those are questions on top of the feature roadmap that you have to answer as you go. There's really just no way around that. You got to follow where the market is. Yeah. No, I mean, it's the great challenge of having a couple of different places that you can I guess run down is the best way to say it, right? Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't run down multiple paths at the same time. Well, you got to be focused, and you know, I think simplicity is underrated. Um, you know, but like I said, um, it, we will follow what the market tells us. I think that's the important piece. But I think we know we've solved at least a couple problems, and we have other problems that we think we can solve. Uh, but we got to go where the best margin is, where the best ARR is, and where the best business is. And, uh, you know, I, I, we're going to learn a lot this year. I'm excited. You've said we um, a fair amount. So oh, yeah. huh. let's, let's talk about the we. Um, tell me a little bit about the team. How'd you build it? I keep saying build it. Um, I know. Isn't it funny? It's awesome. It's a I love brilliant it. name, yeah. right? Like I, sometimes I'm on a pitch and, I'm, and they talk, they, they end up saying build it. I'm like, you just keep saying our name. It's like, you need a contract with us. Um, you know, what's funny is we, we immediately got into a trademark issue with the name. And so build it is actually the second name. Um, the, the first name was built as in like pre-built. Um, but build it, I think turned out better because um, you know, we build people, we build it, we build the products. Um, and companies build their products on us. And I think that's really the, but to kind of transition that into the team question, um, part of our journey is that um, I met with a guy actually years ago um, that is a, a friend of a mentor. And he said, you guys got to meet this guy's great at sales. And I always knew that, you know, even though I can sell, I'm more okay on the inbound. I'm not a salesperson. Um, that I knew sales had to come first. And my entrepreneurial journey of building things first, um, I realized you know, that the sales was at least just as important, if not more important than the technology. And so I, that was the first thing is, how do I find a great partner that's got experience? So um, you know, my partner, Ryan, was working at Amazon at the time. 
uh, doing ad sales and uh, he bought into the idea and uh, he left Amazon and joined us almost immediately. Uh, and so that's, that's my, you know, original partner that we knew, Hey, let's go out and start talking to people and see what the market looks like immediately. You know, we had a proof of concept basically that we would show them and say, is this solving your problem? Is it something we can do for you? Um, consulting on, you know, whatever mobile solutions we could to kind of get them to that point and showing them the proof of concept. And then obviously the engineering team, you know, when you start to build products, uh, I'm an engineer myself. So of course I built the proof of concept. Um, and I've been in this a long time. So, you know, I knew plenty of uh, contractors or people that I could work with. And so we started growing that team. Um, and, and now that team has 10 people on it. Um, that are all over the world, which I'm very proud of that. Um, not only that they are able to collaborate across many time zone challenges, um, but also that we've got, you know, uh, a ton of diversity. Um, now, uh, the Ukraine and Russian conflict, of course, ch has challenges because we have Ukrainians and Russians uh, on the team or one of each. And uh, they're friends, actually. They, they came on together and um, you know, but they had to move. And, um, you know, so that was interesting part of the growth process, things you don't expect to impact you. You know, if we weren't able to pay uh, those guys because of, you know, financial issues, or if they simply had to move their family, uh, then it causes issues, things you don't expect. But so we continued growing the team. And then, you know, we've grown the sales team this year. Um, and we've done that very organically as well, you know, reaching out to people, uh, recruiting people, um, and this year, we're going to grow in the leadership aspect. Um, we're going to bring on some really great people with leadership experience in marketing and, and technology and um, operations and program management and people that have been in IT a long time or people that have been in agencies. Um, and then I also consider our agency partners a part of the team. We've got a lot of agencies that, are, that, that sell to their customers for us, and that's really where we want to get to. Um, and those people have made a marked um, uh, sort of mark on us, if you will, um, not only in their um, uh, mentorship of us, um, but also learning how they work and selling for us and looking at what the relationships are like. And so we've got several agency partners that are very large that, uh, that we work with uh, that have been, like I said, a part of the team as well. So. Um. What's y'all's secret to working? Because um, Ryan, um, the business development guy that you're talking about, he's out in Seattle still, correct? Yeah. So, yeah. and then as you mentioned, you know, a fair amount of your team is spread throughout the world. What's y'all's secret sauce for being able to collaborate um, across those multiple timeframes? What's um, how do you how do you build the culture from that perspective? Right. I think, like other people, we're learning. <laughs> Um, I think we're ahead because engineers have worked remote forever. And really, that is about uh, a few things. Um, asynchronous communication. Uh, you know, I think the challenge that the corporate world has is being able to translate synchronous conversations in meetings into asynchronous conversations uh, in, you know, systems. Um, so asynchronous um, planning ahead, knowing what we're going to work on ahead of time, you know, uh, is I think hugely beneficial. And really that's about diligence. And in the communication side, it's also about diligence. You know, uh, when I worked at Charles Schwab, we had 
two separate offices, one in San Francisco, one in uh, Charlotte. And, you know, they were very diligent. They tracked everything. They knew what they were going to work on every feature throughout the year. They communicated. Everyone was on video. Um, they, if you had to be on uh, Skype and you had to be green on Skype. Um, and all of those things provided, you know, uh, marginalizing the body language challenges that exist by not being in the office. And so people talk a lot about serendipitous meetings. Well, I find that to be ridiculous. And even though, yes, it is true that things come up naturally inside the office that you would not normally come up with, that doesn't mean that they cannot come up serendipitously remotely. Now, there are social social challenges, right, that are there. Getting to know people that are that are either working in an office or working in a different country, those things are very hard to do. It is very hard to do it remotely, but you can do it with diligence. And and look, I don't want to say you're not going to lose anything being remotely, but if you can quantify their work, if you can track their work uh, as far as what they're doing, diligently communicate, organize asynchronously and organize the company or, or structure the company around it, it, it can do very well. And I want to clarify what I mean by quantify. So in the engineering world, we've always tracked every bit of work that we do. We know how much work it's going to be. We estimate when it's going to be completed. And because our endeavors are creative and we got to be very efficient. So engineers have always tracked how much work they have. Whereas in the corporate world, I got to be honest, I don't think that they literally know what everyone is working on at every given time. And, and they used to fill that gap in by watching you and talking to you in the meeting. But if you actually quantified it and wrote it down on paper and you knew exactly what everyone was working on instead of relying on perception, then you can be very, very equitable, accurate, and honestly, I think in a lot of ways better. Instead of people that have soft skills telling you what they're working on, quantifying that work and moving it up is important. So we implemented something called the Four Disciplines of Execution. So it's a Covey book. It's an incredible book. And it talks about accountability and engagement. And the four disciplines are uh, engagement, uh, accountability, leverage, and focus. And if you have those things, which are all around tracking what you're working on, your lead measures, then you will know what they're working on and you will need, you will be able to plan for them. So I don't know if there's a secret sauce other than just hard work and diligence and over communication, but there are some things we've done. Like uh, we put time zone leads in. So uh, every, every time zone has a lead that is their job is to communicate and lead that team that is in that time zone. And they meet in their time. We do have to have some overlap in the United States and sometimes they have to work American hours with American customers. Um, but time zone leads are helpful. We've also done open office hours where we have a one hour time where we just do immediate communications. You know, Slack me or Teams me at that one hour time. Any of your questions are consolidated there to that time. Um, things like that, techniques will marginalize the loss of body language that is handled uh, in the office and the perception issues. It's, um, it's where I wish we, this is one of those times where I wish we had video or we posted the video <laughs> instead. Um, the fact that, you know, your, your tech background, um, your developer, um, you've got that, um, that kind of side to you. Um, and you've been very comfortable 
in talking about the development of the product and the business and everything. Um, but to see you sit up and get that passionate Excited. about the business <laughs> side of it, um, I think kind of tells people that you are, you've got a double-edged sword to you, right? You've got the business component to you that gets you juiced as well as the technical component. So I, oh, yeah. uh, I'm excited uh, about that. Look, you know, uh, uh, Steve Jobs used to say real artists ship, you know, and what he means by that is if you're an artist and engineers, you know, are a creative endeavor. Um, if nobody sees your product, does it exist? If nobody uses it, did you solve something? You know, can you really know your chin, um, so to speak, if nobody buys the product? You know, um, what does it matter if you make a great product or game or uh, tool or process or whatever it is that your heart desires if you don't take it out in the world? It's the man in the arena. And let me tell you, you get beat up in the arena. That's why I say, you know, you got to test your chin. But I've always wanted to test my chin. I want to know, can I take the hit and can I get back up and can I hit back? And Build It, I think, is uh, its not my first endeavor, but it's the first one where I think I'm taking the fight to everybody. And, uh, you know, being the man in the arena and the team is in the arena, by the way. they I say we because my team is the most important part of the business. Um, so, yeah, talking about the business is that is the point. I mean, uh, like I said, I, I love building, I love making, but if nobody sees it and nobody buys it, it doesn't really tell me that much. So. Yeah, no, you can see the you can see the fight that you're ready to take. So I'm excited <laughs> for you. Um, I'm a little I'm a little English. I got some right. English in me, buddy. So that's yeah. right. <laughs> so it's been clean English today. Uh, two questions, because um, believe it or not, it always surprises me and I'm always um, amazed at how fast 50 minutes can really go. So we're coming up. I've got two questions. One, you fundraised. And you've built things in the past. Um, you've done a, a lot of stuff in the past, but you know people always talk about the fundraising process and the challenges, and and then how they were able to navigate through it. So I want to touch base on fundraising, um, and then I know a big component of it. And you mentioned it a few minutes ago, but I touch base on it a little bit more, which is um, your involvement in the community. Right? How do you how do you give yeah. back? Um, so recognizing that you know. Uh, eight to 10 minutes left in the podcast. Let's focus in on those two things. We'll go first yeah. with fundraising because it kind of slowly it, it ties into the business, right? To give back is who a little bit more who Matt is. So yeah. let's wrap up on the business side real quick. Raising money. How hard is it? Uh, <laughs> how do you do it? Yeah. Or, I mean, how did you, you know, right? Um, I can imagine you took steps. Um, how did you outline the steps? How did you know what was what was your process? I'm glad I'm glad you said that actually, because um, I think that's a very in, important question, right? Because if you can't afford to build something, then obviously you're not going to get too far. And although I've done very well in IT and I've been very lucky in my life uh, to be an engineer and to ha always have opportunities, um, you know, you need enough to put rocket fuel in the rocket. And so, first thing is I want to thank the uh, uh, big. Uh, which is our super angel uh, fund that really believed in us from the beginning. Um, and the members of that team have been incredible mentors for us. Um, they, you know, the pandemic put them in a pinch and they still got behind us. Um, and I, I just can't thank them enough. 
And then also uh, the South Carolina Research Authority, which uh, just uh, funded us. Uh, I can't thank them enough. Um, they really went through the arduous process of C-Corp conversion um, and uh, fundraising through an institutional investor. That is really something that teaches you a lot about your business and yourself. Um, you know, you need to know your KPIs uh, better than anybody. So let's lead that into, uh, you know, what does it look like? First, you got to start early, you know, just like everything else, it's about trust and relationships. And uh, you need to have conversations years in advance. You know, um, I would suggest if you have a thought process of what a business can look like, you got to start talking to them immediately because if you just simply go with your handout, that's not going to work. You know, first of all, you're not going to put yourself in a good leverage position, but also, you know, investors uh, know uh, that a business isn't just an idea. They need to see traction and they want to be there with you. And you want to take them through the steps with you. You want them to grow with you. So you got to start it early, not when you need money. You got to start it before you need money. You got to start getting to know them, networking, you know, explain to them the idea of running it by them. They may not understand it, but you got to give them time to research it, figure it out. Nobody's going to invest in something that they don't really understand. Um, well, I guess they might if there's a hot market, but generally they're going to want to know your business and they want to know you so that they know, do you know the KPIs and a couple interviews is not going to cut it. They want to see what are you willing to do? What's your constitution, your personal you know, willingness to put something in money, work, time, networking, you know, uh, risk. Um, so it's about relationships, get it started early, get to know them, let their uh, uh, situation grow with you. You know, I talked to the South Carolina Research Authority a couple times uh, before they even considered thinking about, you know, talking to us. And it still took a year to close it out. Um, and, uh, with big, you know, it was the same thing. We had to formulate the team, you know, make sure that we were in the right position, validate the market. Um, so that's that, I mean, find ways to give back to the investors. You know, if you have a skill, go mentor for their programs. I've mentored for many different programs. And by the way, you will learn an enormous amount about yourself and your business and what's out there just by helping others with your skill. If you sell, help them sell. If you're a techie guy, help them tech. You know, if you are providing um, HR, if you're providing uh, uh, marketing, all of those things are valuable skills. Um, diversity, understanding, you know, what, how it is to operate with people, all of those things are valuable skills that you can help startups with. So start with giving, it will come back. And I suggest that in every Thing that you do. Start with trying to do somebody a favor. Although you might be surprised how very few times people will actually accept that. I'm always surprised. I'm like, I'll, I'll help. And I don't know if they think it's disingenuous or what it is. But I personally have been very lucky in my life. And I feel a duty to help give back to people. So part of the reason why I mentor is because I'm, I like mentoring people that are like me that started programming when they were young or that are entrepreneurs and don't know how to get there, but got a lot of passion. People like this are ultimately who run the United States of America, small businesses that make us, you know, something special. And I, I just think that, uh, that it requires people with knowledge to go back and help those young people, girls, boys, 
whether it's coding, marketing, business acumen, um, you know, so go mentor for the, the investors, show them you've got stake in the game, and that will lead to good things. Um, it's got to be organic. You know, you can't just join some platform and hit people up and send them your deck and expect it to work out. You know, they, you, you got to give them something, show them something, and it takes a long time. It's not a month's endeavor. It's a year's endeavor. Um, and, and to be honest with you, getting in and being in that community is extremely valuable anyway, and you should just do it. But if you expect that you're just going to take an idea and go get it funded, not going to happen. So Yeah. No, I mean, it's a great point. So, um, uh, and I love the way you've done it. So I was going to say build it, but I was going to try to step away from it. Um, <laughs> we'll change your name to done it. Yeah, At the end it. of the business, we'll call yeah. it done it. We'll just I like it. To done it. <laughs> so you've mentioned it a little bit, um, but you do, you do a lot of giving back and you have for a while. Um, I try my ball. best. Yeah. I try my best. So how did, how did that come about? When did you start to, and um, other ways that you are involved? Well, it, it really starts with my passion for, you know, engineering. Um, I was very lucky when I was 12. My grandfather gave me, you know, books and my parents bought me an old school computer with four megs of RAM and Turbo Pascal. And, um, you know, Is it so okay I for me to say that I don't know what any of that means? Is it okay for me to have it's a okay. I'm really old school. I mean, like I'm 42, but to be honest with you, in, in tech years, I'm like 95. And it nothing makes me feel more old than when I talk to somebody who's like, Yeah, I've been in technology for 10 years. And I'm like, Oh, do you know what a BBS is? And they're like, I don't know what that is. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm I'm ancient when it comes to technology, which I love and hate at the same time. But um, yeah, of course. So I had a really old computer with a green screen. Let's put it that way. Is that better? Um, and, you know, I, I wanted to build things, games, uh, calculators, whatever, you know. And I built a, 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 a BBS, which is a bulletin board system, which is the old call-in lines. I had a two-line system. When I was 15 years old. I had an email before email existed on something called FidoNet. Um, anyway, you know, the giving back started there. I had so many people that helped me. Um, people that taught me things, um, inspired me, gave me books, um, answered my dumb questions. Um, uh, when I set up FidoNet, a guy in the community came to my house and set up FidoNet, a guy that I didn't know. This was before the internet was really a thing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that just blew my mind. And, and you know, he helped us out for, for nothing. Like, he traveled to, to help us. Um, and so that has always inspired me and wanting to see people do great things. I'm very big on the idea that like American engineers can do great things, but we need more American engineers. So I'm always trying to teach my, my daughters as an example, you know, about creativity and coding and, and, or making robots or technology in general, because it's been a way for me to make my life better. Um, and I see it that way. It's a, it, there's unlimited opportunities when you become an engineer or an entrepreneur or both. And so that inspires me to really try to help um, people. It's not just because, you know, no, I'm not altruistic. I feel I owe it to them. You know, I owe it to the people that helped me. And um, in, in the business world, to be honest, you have no choice. Nobody's going to give you the hard news that you need. Nobody's going to help you until 
you show them that you can help them as well, or that you're willing to do what it takes and helping them altruistically as best you possibly can will prove that to them. So in some ways, in an odd way, helping out other people helps you. And if you look at it that way and you realize that giving back is, is, is actually giving to yourself, then, then you realize that um, it's something you got to do. Um, and, and there's enormous numbers of benefits to it. I mean, I just, I can't tell you how much it's helped me to just help other people. And, and by the way, seeing young people get into things is inspiring on its own. I mean, uh, just on a personal level, it has personal gratification associated to it. But I've got to be honest, I, I would like to do more, even though I don't have enormous amounts of time. But, um, you know, I, I'd like to take some young people under my belt and, and uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe my kids will get into it. So, yeah, well, I can I'll say this. Uh, I hope as much as you've given to the Charlotte community um, over the course of however long you've been here. And I think that's a fairly long time. We won't quantify it in years. <laughs> But, speaking of age. <laughs> yeah, speaking of age. No, but I mean, in all honesty, I mean, as far as part of, being a part of the startup community and being a part of the tech community and whatnot, as much as you've given, I certainly hope and expect to see the community give it back to you over the course of the next couple of years to help you continue to build, build it. Um, you've done a great job. I've loved seeing you out there. I've loved seeing everything you've done. You helped me along the way and um, you know, loved having Dan O'Reilly on the podcast and would have had zero chance of having him on the podcast had it not been. You know, it was, it was easy for me to yeah. do, too. Yeah. I mean, luckily, Dan is a giver. I mean, honestly, it was all Dan. I, I really just made an intro. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I obviously helped but him you, up at Duke. But, yeah, the intro was easy. He's a he's a giving person. He understands it, too. Yeah. And, but but you the, but those are the little the little things that you do. And. Um, I mean, again, I hope to see the community um, support you and and do the solid thing that you've done for the community as well. So you're doing something really neat. I love the product. It's a beautiful website. The website is help people out with it real quick. Buildit.co. B-I-L-D-I-T.co. So um, and we look forward to seeing and hearing a lot more about Build It and you. Um, and the great things that you're doing over the course of the next couple of years. So congrats, Matt, you deserve, um, you deserve to take this thing to the moon and back. So um, good luck and go get it done. I just got goosebumps, my friend, but I also want to thank you, not just for having me on today, but you've always been helpful to me. And, you know, like you mentioned, it's small things. You don't realize it when you say things or when you do things, how it affects people. So uh, thank you, man. I, I really appreciate you having me on and, and all your support over the years as well. So hopefully we can do more and, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, like I said, I'm excited for you. You deserve it. And you've got, you've got a lot of background and experience to, to, um, to help carry you forward. And um, I think a great team around you as well. So we're looking, to, we're looking forward to seeing exciting things out of you all. Thank you. Thanks so much. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. 
Cordis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.